This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome back to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm the Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, where I teach innovation entrepreneurship as well as product design. I'm very happy and lucky to welcome to the show my next guest, Andy Fang, who's the co-founder and CTO, Chief Technology Officer at DoorDash. Andy, thanks for coming in. Thanks, Carl, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So first things first, I think you have such an awesome name, DoorDash.com. I don't think I need to even spell that. So if you're someplace safe at a web browser and you want to just look up DoorDash, it's DoorDash.com. Uh, so, Andy, let's start off by just the elevator pitch. What does DoorDash do? Yeah, yeah. so DoorDash, we are an on-demand delivery platform that uh, allows you to get access to local merchants around you. And I think really what we're aiming for is enabling local merchants to get access to their local communities. Uh, and the primary use case we've powered that uh, so far has been through delivery. And um, right now you can get local restaurants, whether they're small business owners, or uh, franchisees of national chains delivered to you within 45 minutes. And actually, uh, this past year in 2018, uh, we had a big breakthrough with uh, enabling grocery as well uh, with our partnership with Walmart, where uh, we are their largest delivery provider for grocery delivery. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. So let's walk us through. I, I mean, I suspect you're you're well established in this in this space. Many of our users will know DoorDash and will have even used DoorDash. But for those who haven't, the primary the primary platform is probably an app, right? Yes. Yeah. So and I, so walk us through how you use it. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, you know, uh, we actually cover eighty percent of Americans today, and so if you download. The DoorDash app, or go to DoorDash.com. Uh, you can basically uh, select your delivery address, and then you can see which local merchants, restaurants, stores, etc., that are around you. And then you can see uh, what you can get delivered to you within you know 45 minutes. All right, and give us the primary use case. So the primary, you started out really with food, right? The food yeah. has been yeah. yeah our primary use case in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And so if I want a, a burrito, I can probably get one here uh, very quickly using the DoorDash right. app. That's right. correct. All right. I am a little hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, take us back to the beginning. Where did, where's, what's the origin story? Yeah. So the founding team, we actually met when we're all students at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually met in a class that was a joint department class between the business school and the engineering department. Mm-hmm. And we, the founding team, and you were, you were, what were you staying? You were undergrads. I was, yeah, uh, I was an undergrad. Our CEO is actually in the business school, uh-huh. and uh, my other co-founder was also an undergrad. And we basically, uh, you know, we got together, and something that we were all very passionate about actually was really figuring out ways to help out local businesses. And so, essentially, what we did is we went and talked to literally hundreds of local business owners throughout the Bay Area. We talked to toy stores, we talked to furniture stores, restaurants, salons, and you name it, literally door-to-door in various downtown areas. And uh, we asked them about you know what their days were like, these business owners. Uh, we asked them about what problems they were facing. Uh, there were a couple ideas that uh, we heard about and we thought of, but I think the one that really stuck with us and one that really resonated with a lot of the merchants we were talking to was actually around this use case of delivery. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, we heard it from you know the retail stores we're talking to. We heard it from uh, obviously from the restaurants we're talking to. And I think one particular uh, anecdote that really stood out to us is when we talked to a macaroon shop, and the store manager told us, "Hey, I have this book of delivery orders that you know people want to get my macaroons." But I have to turn these orders away because you know I just uh, can't afford to do these deliveries, mm-hmm. and so I think that was a really eye-opening moment for us. And after that, we we launched an MVP, and you know the story kind of unfolds from there. Were the three of you looking for an entrepreneurial opportunity, or was this a course assignment? <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of both. I mean, yeah. the the class was kind of an entrepreneurial geared class. Yeah, and, and honestly, for us, it was kind of. Having that free time to really just work together, get to know each other, yeah. um, and <laughs> get, go talk to you know merchants and, and talk to customers. Yeah. Uh, w- what'd you do next? How did you validate the opportunity and, and get started? So basically, it's a funny story. So we thought, of, okay, there's this use case of delivery, pretty uh, interesting opportunity. So we thought of. We don't have a marketing budget, so we're like, what's the easiest way for someone to be able to think of, you know, website to access? And so we got the domain name paloaltodelivery.com. <laughs> we put a couple PDF menus of restaurants that were nearby, um, and then we had a Google Voice number that forwarded to all our personal cell phones, and that was the MVP. <laughs> oh, wow, that's cool. You know, I think Eric Reese in Lean Startup calls that the concierge MVP, which is you don't build any tech. You have a you have a human behind there in the or a Wizard of Oz MVP. It's a human back there. Yes. And 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 how long did it take for people to start calling? Were you running AdWords or something to drive traffic? Or? So, it's actually funny. We actually got our first order like forty five minutes after we put up the website. No AdWords. Nothing. Wow. It was complete coincidence, and that was something that was really surprising to us. Um, and we're like, oh my gosh, we actually got a call because we. We kind of put the thing up and we're like, all right, let's go home and like we'll see like what happens yeah. like you know this week. Yeah. But 45 minutes later, we got our first phone call and we're like, oh my gosh, we actually have to fulfill this, right? Yeah, and yeah. so uh, we kind of scrambled. Uh, you know, one of us got in the car, went to get the order, and then we had one of those square card readers that you plug into uh, your you know yeah. smartphone, and we just processed the order right there. So. What What year was that? This was 2013. 2013. Yeah. Wow. And and then, and what year were you in school? I was in my junior year. Junior year. Yeah. All right. So then, then what happened? Did you did you quit school or did you like what happened over the yeah. next year? Yeah. So then, from that point, after we got our first order, it wasn't as glamorous as then. Like all these orders started showing up. It actually right, was right, kind right. of slow. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, because all of us were still in school at the time, it was actually kind of cool because we had an opportunity to work on this on the side. Initially, we we're only open Mondays through Fridays from 5 to 8 p.m., mm-hmm. um, which kind of sucks for a delivery service if yeah. you think about it, but <laughs> kind of worked for us at the yeah. time. And we, we grew pretty organically from there. And um, we went through Y Combinator that summer. Yeah. Um, and I think that was really a turning point for us yeah. in the sense that, like, you know, all of us had plans for that summer. Mm. Um, and uh, I actually didn't even know what Y Combinator was when we right. applied. And when we got in, we were like, are we doing this for real? Yeah. And I think that's when we were like, yeah, let's do this. And that was one of the most exhilarating summers of my life. And we came out of it. We actually launched as DoorDash during that summer. Ah. And we came out of it um, you know, after Demo Day. And then we raised the seed round after that. 
Um, and then, you know, we got our own office space and stuff. Yeah. Did you guys stay in school that next year? I actually did. Yeah. So uh, for me, a primary motivator for that was actually really to make sure that I could have housing. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> I actually got kind of lucky with how it played out. Um, I was able I'm glad to that Stanford. I'm sure Stanford would appreciate that. Their primary benefit proposition was the <laughs> dorm. Yeah, <laughs> because there's a. I actually didn't have to pay for tuition for that a lot of that year because I was able to kind of like get some credits and graduate early. Oh, but I, I was see. able to stay in housing. Yeah. For a lot of that year, and I think uh, you know we were in Palo Alto for 2014. We actually moved up to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I believe in 2015. Yeah, and so that's you know uh, kind of another chapter of the yeah. company. And we built yeah, it up. I I wonder if you can go back and talk about the transition from Palo Alto Delivery dot com to DoorDash. What, when what? I mean, this whole question of how broad you define the scope. You had a you had a geographic scope, of course, in your name that was very limited, and obviously you wanted to do. But you also in in making it DoorDash, you didn't say food dash right so tell us about how you thought about that and how you thought about the naming and the positioning yeah it's actually one thing that's been really cool about our journey over the past five and a half years has really been when we started the company the idea of building a generalizable logistics engine Mm -hmm. to power any sort of local merchant Mm -hmm. use case was always our goal and i think even when we started out with food we started with food because we thought it was the most natural consumer facing Mm -hmm. use case but we were always talking about how can we deliver other kinds of things? How can we uh, power like deliveries that businesses need for their own needs outside of just serving customers? And uh, so when we were thinking of names, uh, you know, we always were like, we don't want to just be a food company. Mm-hmm. We really view ourselves as a logistics company. Mm-hmm. And so um, DoorDash was a name domain name that we found for ten bucks a month. Nice, <laughs> no ten bucks. Yeah, right. That was the you. It was. It wasn't registered. It wasn't registered. Wow, we, that was uh, 2014. You wouldn't get away with that. Today, I know you yeah. wouldn't get with, definitely not today. <laughs> and so that was something we're like alliteration uh, goes yeah, with the, what we want to do, and we're like, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, that's really that's really awesome. What was the competitive landscape like at that time? So there wasn't yet Uber hadn't entered. Right. Nope. Yeah. So tell tell us about the competitive landscape. Yeah. Yeah. So it was actually pretty interesting. I mean, I think at the time when we were in Palo Alto, there was really no one around. Mm-hmm. And I think um, you know where we were. I mean, I think with the kind of business we're in, it's a very local business. So like, you know, had we been in a different er- geography, maybe it would have been a completely different story in terms of what the customer offerings were at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we knew that. You know, f- delivery is something that people expect to exist, especially with, like food delivery. Yet when we're trying to do it ourselves, the only options were like pizza. Um, and we were like, hey, there there might be something here. To this. Yeah. Yeah. So th- th- I want to go back to this focus question, because if you look today at the landscape, there would be Uber Eats, Caviar, Grubhub, people who focus on food. Mm-hmm. And uh, some others have tried have tried more general delivery, but what are the advan- what what are the compromises in being a more general delivery service as opposed to being more of a pure play on food? Yeah, that's a great question. So the way we've actually approached it is we wanted to, to focus on getting restaurant food delivery right first, mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways that's helped us as we've become more mature and expanding our offerings because in a lot of ways restaurant food is one of the hardest things to the hardest you gotta be it's gotta be hot exactly it's gotta be hot the the customers expectations are the highest 
um, you know, sensitive to temperature. Uh, you're not delivering from a single warehouse. You're delivering from individual restaurant stores, mm -hmm. which have their own, uh, you know, operations and uh, workflows that they you have to integrate with. So um, that's what we decided, and that was part of our rationale: is let's if we can get this right, then we can get anything else yeah. right. So tell us a little bit about about how you thought about operations and how you're thinking about operations has evolved. Yeah, I think one thing that's been really part of our DNA from the beginning is, you know, we think of ourselves as a company that requires both technology and operations to be very successful because we're literally physically moving things in the world. So um, obviously when we started the company, our MVP was kind of what you're describing in terms of a Wizard of Oz, right, where there was not that much tech involved and we we're kind of manually doing everything ourselves. One of the biggest benefits of doing that actually is that we actually learned about not just what it's like to get you know, your order delivered as a customer, but, you know, being a driver, mm -hmm. showing up at the merchant and seeing how stressful their, their their job can be. And so that's when it really clicked for us. Like, we got to figure out and know the details of how the operations work for us to have a successful business here. Mm -hmm. And as we've scaled, it's something that we've really emphasized to the company that's really important not to just get lost in, you know, the averages and the numbers, but really understanding how DoorDash works in San Francisco versus how it works in Palo Alto, how it works in the financial district of San Francisco mm -hmm. versus how it works in the mission district of San Francisco. There's a lot of uh, details that to be an operationally excellent company, you have to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. to get so um, how, how do you do it? So the cost, do, you, do you do it yourself? Do you use, do you use, uh, is it a two-sided market where you're using contractors? How do you do it? Yeah, yeah so it's a three-sided marketplace. So we have customers, we have merchants, and then there's dashers uh -huh. uh, who uh, you know get to sign up and, uh, and deliver on the platform. Uh, because the, of the lunch and dinner spikes, uh, you know, one thing that we try to make sure of is that uh, during these spikes that the, the marketplace is well supplied across uh, all three sides. So it has some element of dynamic pricing on on at least one of those sides. <laughs> there is there is dynamic pricing involved, and I think a lot of it is figuring out. This is stuff that we've also talked about when we started the company is making sure that we can kind of build the right mechanisms, build the technology to be able to be flexible, just yeah. like the customer demand is yeah. flexible. Um, and you know, when there's rain, for example, like today, when yeah. there's rain, demand is going to be, uh, intense. And so, and supply is going to be scarce. Scar right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that's something that, you know, we've built kind of, uh, integrated weather modeling into how we think about uh, this. And th there's a lot of other variables as well. Yeah. Um, traffic, if there's like a game day, for example, mm -hmm. that's something that, you know, you have to consider as well in terms of, uh, making sure that things are. Yeah. And is that the primary, just to drill down on that a little bit is, do you use economics as the primary lever there in terms of raising fees and raising uh, wages for the dashers, or are there other levers you can pull to get supply and demand to to work? Yeah. It's a it's a great question. I think given that we have a three sided marketplace, I think there are a lot of levers that we can pull. Uh, you know, price is one of them. Mm -hmm. um, we can figure out how long of uh, delivery time do customers want to tolerate something that. We experimented early on was to experiment with that, though we've matured in our 
perspective on that to making sure that I we want to make sure customers get things as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. no matter what. Uh, one thing we do uh, take into consideration when launching markets is making sure that customers have a wide selection of merchants that they can order from. And that's really been one of our bread and butters over the years has been being able to provide that wide selection of merchants for uh, any given customer. Uh, at the same time, uh, when you uh, have you know wide selection for customers or potentially wide delivery radiuses, that can affect quality too. So I think those are all things that you have to consider when shaping a market, when figuring out when things get a little dicey in terms of supply and demand, what levers you can pull to mm-hmm. and, the marketplace. And and I, I read somewhere, it's you said 80% of America, but I, I, I read somewhere that you're now in all 50 states. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's, so that's right. pretty amazing. Yeah, so, yeah well, just actually as yeah. of today, we launched and uh, you know, covered all 50 states in America, yeah. and you're right that we cover 80% of Americans yeah. today. So how, how, what, what's different about Missoula, Montana, as compared to uh, the financial district in San Francisco, in terms of how how you run your business, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think there are different things that we think about just in terms of characteristics of a more sprawl mm-hmm. geography versus a you know more dense geography. I think there's things you have to consider whether it's what kind of vehicles work better uh, versus what kind of cuisines and what kind of restaurants mm-hmm. do people prefer. Like in San Francisco, generally people actually issue the kind of big brands, national chains, whereas in other parts of America, uh, those are actually the popular yeah. things. So I think those are things that you have to consider uh, when, when you think about what the merchant selection you want is, how you want the the, the Dasher logistics mm-hmm. to look like in terms of vehicle composition, mm-hmm. in terms of weather, mm-hmm. um, in terms of how far you think you can reasonably deliver from while delivering high quality. And also what the customer's expectations are yeah. in terms of quality, yeah. merchant selection, yeah. and speed. So this is a little bit of a, a theoretical question, I suppose. But if, if you look at logistics more generally, there are the the incumbents. So if you look at, say, UPS or, or FedEx, they've apl- applied a very different model, which is to say uh, UPS has said, we're going to we're going to design our own trucks like we're going to design everything and then we're going to own everything and we're going to control it so that we can really control with high reliability fedex is sort of somewhere in the middle i think they use some contractors under the fedex brand and you guys have gone to this very much uh, uh effectively outsourcing to th- to independent contractors mm-hmm. to make this work uh, at a theoretical level are are there advantages to controlling everything and is have you thought about are there situations in which you you should and need to uh, actually own everything in order to control the the, the last mile? Yeah. yeah, I think that's a great question. I think one thing that really makes this work is our demand is so spiky, mm-hmm. and I think when you think about traditional delivery models, they're creating these delivery time windows so that they can create efficiencies uh, in how yeah. they deliver packages. Whereas when you have something that's on demand. Having a workforce that is more flexible is something that really helps. And I think uh, the other thing about kind of having a lot of fixed costs is, you know, there's a lot of cost into delivering something that's outside of kind of the constraints that you provided. So that's something that, you know, because of the advent of mobile technology and people basically have a supercomputer in their pocket now, um, you know, we can be a lot more intelligent about this and be flexible about Mm -hmm. uh, matching the supply Mm -hmm. and demand. 
If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. I'm Carl Ulrich, and I'm speaking with Andy Fang, who's the co-founder and CTO of DoorDash.com. Andy, tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a Dasher. What kind of, who are these people? Uh, what kind of living can they make? Is it something they fill in with, or is this their job typically? Yeah, yeah I think uh, you know there are a lot of people who uh, are dashers to help fill in some spare time, whether they're part-time students or they're working retail jobs and they want to fill up the spare time. Uh, there are some people who dash full-time, mm-hmm. and I think as we've become bigger, I think uh, being able to provide that uh, use case for people in terms of a lot for a lot of times uh, when people dash, they have a milestone in mind they want to hit, whether it's you know uh, paying for rent or helping pay for school tuition or what have you. And I think being able to be that flexible platform is something that uh, you know we try to provide. And I think because we're uh, in the lo- uh, delivery logistics, I think having that uh, you know you can go on your bike, you can go on your motorcycle. Mm. Uh, or you can go in your car mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, you can ac- get access to that. Yeah. Um, great. So you have a uh, – some of our listeners may know this, but I bet most of them don't. You, you've raised almost a billion dollars. So That's this right. is like a crazy amount of money. Yeah. And I want you to, to go back to the beginning and, and tell us a little bit about the financing milestones and what that was like. Uh, in the beginning? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think in the beginning uh, – Let's see. I think the first uh, money we got was from Y Combinator, yeah. and um, they admitted us into their program. And uh, I think that was back in the day. Let's see. I think today it's like one hundred and fifty thousand bucks. It was like a hundred thousand something. Like I think that. it was yeah. around a hundred thousand. Yeah. Um, and that was something that we kind of used to fuel um, our first hires. Um, you know, we worked out of a house. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, we actually lived and worked out of the same house when we started the company. Um, and um, I think after that, uh, we raised a seed round of, uh, I think, $2.4 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was co-led by Charles River Ventures and Coastal Ventures. Um, that uh, that kind of allowed us to kind of get our first office, which was still a house, mm-hmm. but <laughs> we were no longer living and working out of the same place. Um, and I think that that was something that uh, really helped us, for example, launch our first geographies outside of the Bay Area um, and, um, you know, really helped us build our initial engineering team, initial operations team. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's like the Cinderella Stanford startup story. You're in YC. You raise money from uh, Charles River Associates and Coastal Ventures. I mean, that's awesome. And then... And then if you would only hear that you'd raised a billion dollars in total, you'd think it would be completely smooth sailing the whole time. Um, but I remember, like, it, it's funny because I remember maybe even a little more than a year ago, things weren't going so well or it didn't look so good uh, for DoorDash. Tell us about the dark about the dark moments and what turned the corner. Uh, maybe you can fill in the narrative a little bit. Yeah. Uh, a year and a half, two years ago, what was going on and what the challenges were. Yeah. I think part of the challenges with the space we're in is I think there was a lot of skepticism mm-hmm. around whether or not you could make a viable business in this industry. Just the unit economics. Just the yeah. unit economics yeah. and the viability of it. And I think that was something that was a question mark for investors at a certain point in time. I think probably um, that uh, you know, certainly something that we always felt confident in internally. And I think um, you know, and since then, I think the, the narrative of the industry has kind of changed where it's not about can you make 
a viable business is how big of a business you can make. Mm -hmm. Because I think now people are starting to realize, oh my gosh, the total addressable market just within the restaurant food delivery industry is immense, let alone delivery of retail and other goods. And so I think um, I think part of you know what got us through is just really persevering and having that faith in what we knew to be true about how our business works. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I think that. I mean, I think we always believed in it, and um, you know, sure enough, you know, when we stuck it, stuck with it, you know, we knew at some point people were going to find out what the opportunity here really was. So, is the story would would your version of the story be more than that? You you had a path, you stuck to it, and it's there were times you couldn't convince people that you were on the right path, but you persevered long enough, and it proved to be true, or. Did you actually learn some things that required you to modify what you were doing? I would say for the large part, I think how we've understood the business hasn't changed mm-hmm. dramatically mm-hmm. over the past few years. So I think a lot of it is just persevering with yeah. what we knew to be true about what our business could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is looking at, hey, our early markets have become cash flow positive. Um, and we have a playbook that when, when we launch a new market, we can get it to uh, that profitability. And we were able to prove that out. And I think um, and uh, when we got people in the outside world to, to be able to see that, I think that was like, wow, if you can replicate this, which you've proven to do, then how often, how right. much more can you replicate right. that right. playbook? Is it, to what extent is it a winner-take-all uh, market? How many... Doordashes can there be in the in, let's say in the, just in the U.S. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think for I think it's tough to say. I would say that I think there is room for there to be a market leader. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for us, we certainly strongly believe that we can be the market leader someday, mm-hmm. and we're actually well positioned to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, in fact, we've been the fastest growing player in terms of market share for at least the past eighteen consecutive months, and so I think. When we started the company, you know, there's a lot of kind of noise around the industry, and we've seen some of that consolidate over time. Mm-hmm. And I think there, we think that there's a really good opportunity for us to take the market leadership. Yeah, I think in terms of what the long term of the space looks like, I think that remains to be seen. But I think there's a couple of different ways it can play out. Yeah, how how different? It, I mean, the, the U.S. total addressable market is already vast. But it's also a big world, and if you look in the UK, you've got Deliveroo, you've got others um, in in Asia. Is how do you think about the global opportunity? Yeah. yeah, I think that's a that's another good question. I mean, currently today, uh, we are actually in Canada as well as the United States, and so I think there's a lot of opportunity that we see in Canada. There's a lot of interesting markets out there, some of which are very saturated and very highly competitive, like in China. Yeah. Um, but there are other markets that, you know, there are still very interesting opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I think we're a lot earlier in this industry than a lot of people think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was kind of a learning that some people in the investment community might have uh, came to that conclusion to recently of just saying, holy cow, the total addressable market here is big. And I think, quite frankly, everyone in this space is growing quickly, even the people who aren't uh, growing as quickly as we are. Um, which goes to show that there's a lot of greenfield here, and yeah. let alone in the United States, but you know throughout the the globe. Yeah. All right. So, Andy, your title is CTO. So let's talk a little bit about tech. So, I, I mean, I got all kinds of questions. One of them would be, you know, 
what are the technical challenges of a company this size? And have you at some point had to say, you know, I need some people who know how to run cloud data, you know, data centers or something? Uh, because, you know, you were, you were a Stanford junior when you started this company. Tell us a little bit about what the tech challenges are and what you've had to do to grow and understand the tech. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the, the heart of our logistics challenge is really at the core of it, operations research challenge of, you know, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier about how UPS and FedEx yeah. have their own model of doing things. And that's actually a pretty well-researched field yeah. in operations research. So you mean like uh, logistics, path planning, path planning. Got, yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. The vehicle yeah. routing yeah. problem. And yeah. I think uh, when it comes to on-demand delivery, that's a space that's never really been explored before. Mm. And so I think that was something where, you know, when I dug into the papers, when I dug into the research, when I talked to professors at Stanford, I realized, hey, actually, you know, when it comes to our use case of delivering from every order comes from a different place, mm -hmm. not a warehouse. Uh, you have time windows for each order, and those time, uh, time windows are very strict. Mm -hmm. Um, there's actually not a great way to yeah, solve that problem. And it's dynamic. And it's dynamic. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You don't know where you don't know yeah. when the demand's coming in. Right. Exactly. So that was a, a very unique problem at the time, and that was one where we realized we can be actually at the pioneer yeah. of the operations research field and exploring and solving that problem. Yeah. And how did you did you literally go get PhDs in OR to to solve those problems or or not? Yeah, 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 so we definitely, uh, I would say early on, we used MVPs of what we thought the product yeah. would look like yeah. uh, to, to build that out. Over time, we did hire operations research specialists mm -hmm. into the company to help us crack that problem. Mm -hmm. And I think in addition to that, we also uh, had to hire machine learning expertise into the company to help mm -hmm. predict when some of that demand would come yep. in, uh, how supply could be matched with that demand, uh, and forecasting. Mm -hmm. And so kind of being able to forecast how a, a given day will play out, let's say, and then figuring out, given that, how do you optimize for that problem uh, was kind of one of the big problems yeah. we've had to solve for. Over the years, there are other technology problems that we've had to encounter as well. Like, for example, one thing that we are really proud of is the fact that we have the widest merchant selection in the industry. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the problem for our customers when they're opening the app is what do you show them? <laughs> and so being able to build uh, ML models and personalization to be able to engage customers mm -hmm. another challenge uh, that, that we've had to face. So let me well. just interrupt you a little bit there. The, these I would describe as sort of science problems. They're, they're hard math or OR kinds of challenges. They, I wouldn't think of them as infrastructure, computing, storage kinds of challenges. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Do you have to solve any of those now, or can you just get that stuff out there in the cloud? Yeah. Oh, I wish, I wish uh, yeah. just putting it in the cloud would solve for it. Yeah. But no, this, certainly we definitely have our own scale challenges as well. Yeah. Um, and I think part of the challenge is, you know, when it comes to engineering and, you know, a high, fast-paced technology industry. It's figuring out how you can deal with scale while making sure that the lights are still on, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, even though things have gotten easier, the barrier to entry to, you know, you don't have to build your own data center anymore. Right? Yeah. You can get things hosted in the cloud. Uh, with that said, there's still a lot of problems that you face. And uh, because things have gotten easier, it's gotten a lot easier to also increase the compute power of what it yeah. takes to build something. Like, for example, we're pulling uh, to make sure that we can get location trails for dashers when they're dashing so that we can figure out what assignments to give them and mm -hmm. stuff. And so with uh, all that data, you have to figure out, okay, how do you actually make sure that you can handle that level of scale, make sure that you can process it effectively. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's always a challenge, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So let, and then let me push you on the 
last part of my question, which is, you know, you were a Stanford junior, you're the CTO of a you know, huge company now. Um, what has that journey been like? And what have you had to do to, to grow into that role? Yeah, yeah. There have been, just like there have been chapters of DoorDash, there's been chapters that I've had to go through myself mm -hmm. uh, to kind of grow into being the CTO of this company. Obviously, when we first started, uh, you know, just, you know, me and my co-founder just building the initial product ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, as we've grown, there's been a lot of things that I've had to do. Hiring first engineer. Yeah. That person's going to be more experienced than you. How do you make sure that they respect you? Yeah. Uh, you know, managing a team, uh, figuring out how to build a recruiting process, um, figuring out, okay, how do you make sure that you're being... Uh, the representative of engineering in a bigger company when sales, operations, finance all have to work together to, to make this puzzle work. Um, I would say it's a lot of being intellectually honest with yourself and saying, making sure that even though you are growing a lot along the journey, always being cognizant of what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to always tell yourself that and kind of, it's like a humbling experience in a lot of ways because just because you got to that next stage of, let's say, the company growth and kind of your growth as an individual, great. Now you have to figure out business isn't stopping. So yeah. you have to figure out how to keep up pace. Yeah. Well, on that note, that's probably a good note to end on. Uh, Andy, so interesting. Thanks so much for coming into the studio. Yeah, Carl, thanks for having me. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.